Friends and travelers, however you've arrived, I bid you welcome. Here at Let's Be Frank, we're about lives, and above all, living well. I don't suspect a podcast hosted by Benjamin Franklin could be about anything else. In my lifetime, I pursued the practice of moral improvement like a science, recording my successes, and yes, oftentimes reveling in my failings. It's my genuine hope, with our weekly almanac, to feed to a curious world delicious morsels of history in quick and concise installments, perfect for a nice sit in your favorite chair, a morning walk to work. At the end of each installment, I like to wrap it all up in a neat little parcel with a lesson you can apply to your own life, inspired by the events, personalities, and ideas covered in each episode. So sit back, relax, and together, let's make history. Greetings and salutations, dear listener. Welcome to another installment of Let's Be Frank, an auditory almanac for the curious mind with me, your faithful friend and host, Dr. Benjamin Franklin, printer. My beloved Junto, our last installment about fables has fostered some wonderful responses about the lessons derived from the story of the astronomer and the well, one of which I wish to share for you at the beginning of today's episode. Dr. Franklin, the lesson I learned from the astronomer and the well is, while chasing your dreams for the future, don't neglect the duties of today. Now, if that doesn't belong in my poor Richard's almanac, I don't know what does. Now, my friends, today we have a very, very exciting installment, an interview from a brilliant scholar who's just received their PhD from the UK. Continuing on the same theme of stories, I thought today we could talk about a very different mode of storytelling that has become very popular in your time, but has many of its beginnings in mine. For purposes of good order, this podcast is composed of several sources associated with Ben Franklin's life, knit together to collect it all into one narrative on a cohesive theme. Today's installment is about fairy tales where we can trace their beginnings, where we derive their magic, and how they conjure magic in us. Once upon a time. These are words I suspect you've heard a great many times. Phrases that you've heard with such consistency they begin to lose their meaning and take on a meaning all their own. A meaning of beginning. Now, I sat down this week with a scholar whose entire focus is on the history of fairy tales, one fairy tale in particular. And I should say, dear listener, we had such a riveting conversation that I made the decision to take the interview and split it into the next two installments. The first part we'll share today, the second part next week. But I didn't wish to condense a single portion of the fascinating information that was shared during our time together. So without further ado, let's introduce our guest for today. Abigail Fine recently completed her PhD in Comparative Literature from Queen Mary University of London. Her dissertation, Fantastic Transformations, the Evolution of Fairy Godparents in British and American Adaptations of Cinderella, 1922-2021, 
focuses on the magical helper character in film and literary adaptations of Cinderella. Her research interests include fairy tale adaptations, fashion and costume studies, and children and young adult literature. She holds an M.A. in History from the College of William and Mary and an M.A. in English Literature from Georgetown University. Please join me in welcoming her. Dr. Fine, thank you so much for joining us on Let's Be Frank. No problem. I'm really excited to be here. Now, if I understand correctly, you've just received your doctorate from a university in Great Britain. I have indeed, at Queen Mary University of London. Please, allow me to extend my congratulations to you. Would you know, I received my honorary doctorates from the University of St. Andrews as well as the University of Oxford, so I'm excessively pleased to have another academic upon the show. Now, we're here today to talk about stories, which I'm a great lover of. I wonder if, before we begin, you could talk a little bit about the road that brought you to this point. Uh, I understand your previous vocation was in history before transitioning to the more literary examination of fairy tales. Uh, Can you talk to us about what got you interested in this subject matter, how you came to study it? Well, it is a long, twisting tale, um, but I did my undergraduate degree at William & Mary in history, and then did a master's there, also in history, studying 18th century theater, as a matter of fact, uh, which I know you have discussed on this very podcast. Um, And then I got very interested in Shakespearean theater, and so I realized that a lot of the work on material culture and Shakespeare was happening in English departments um, and literary departments rather than in history departments, which was interesting because there's a lot of overlap there with material culture, with the way that plays reflect material culture within their texts. Um, and then through a roundabout um, series of events that took me to an Alice in Wonderland conference in Cambridge. I met my supervisor for my PhD and she worked on Alice in Wonderland and fashion in the 19th century. And so I emailed her and asked her if she would be willing to work on a PhD on Cinderella and fashion, which has now evolved into my finished, completed dissertation, uh, Fantastic Transformations, the Evolution of Cinderella's Fairy Godmother. So my work really focuses on Cinderella specifically and then the magical helper figure in those stories. Fascinating. Entirely fascinating. Thank you for sharing that with us. Now, in last week's installment, we talked about the fable and the lessons that we can learn in it. Now, in my time, no fireside is complete, no long journey worth making without a story or two to partner with it. Now, while we have a collection of stories we tell, while some of them involve fairies, The modern conception of the fairy tale is something which is evolving and developing in my time. Yes. I wonder if you could talk to us about how our modern conceptions of the fairy tale developed to become the uh, cultural standard for how we tell stories in your time. Let's see, where to begin? (laughs) Yes, I guess a question that I often get asked is, what is a fairy tale? And an academic named Andrew Teverson says that they are short, popular tales of magic that are generally regarded as traditional because of their broad circulation. And importantly, he says that they are a form of fiction that is collectively owned rather than individually authored. 
Um, but you've talked about fables. So how is that different really from a fable or from a myth um, and from a, a medieval romance where you'll find like hints of fairy tales, particularly uh, there's a, a whole sleeping beauty in Parsifal. Um, so what what's the difference? And I think what is surprising for a lot of people is that the way that fairy tales differ from these other forms of storytelling is actually that they are not oral and that they are literary. And it's the literariness of the fairy tale that makes it specifically a fairy tale. Um, of course, fairy tales are part of an oral tradition as well. You can't say that there's no such thing as the oral tradition with the fairy tale. Uh, but there's a scholar named Ruth Bodekheimer, and she talks about that the rise of what we today here in the 21st century would call a fairy tale occurred really starting in the 16th and 17th centuries in Italy uh, as a written form. And in particular, because society there started to be less rigid with classes. And so things like the rise fairy tale, which you could say Cinderella is a rise fairy tale, um, were able to be conceived of and written there. Um, and our term fairy tale <laughs> comes from the French conte de fées. And that was coined by Marie-Catherine Dolnoy uh, in the late 17th century. And so this is where our concept of fairy tales today is really birthed, is in early modern France, 1680s and 90s, at the court of Louis XIV. Um, and there was this whole salon culture that was really dominated by aristocratic women. And so these women really popularized the genre of fairy tale. Um, there was a, a whole movement called the battle between the ancients and moderns. And a lot of men in the French court were saying that we could never excel the ancients, that ancient writers were so perfect in their writings that nobody could hope to excel. The women who were the ones writing this new literary genre were saying, no, 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 we can. The moderns have things to say. Um, and one of the only men on the side of the moderns was Charles Perrault. And Perrault gave us Cinderella the way we know it today, as well as he has a version of Little Red Riding Hood, Puss in Boots, um, I think Hop on My Thumb. Uh, and he published uh, his fairy tale collection in 1697. And it was Histoire de Contes en temps passé. Uh, I can read it much better <laughs> than I can speak it. Um, but yes, so. He um, published this volume and he dedicated it to the princess of France, uh, the niece of Louis XIV. And so there is sort of a youth connection with fairy tales there, but it wasn't necessarily about, about childhood culture. Fairy tales at this time were not 100% associated with children, the way that today we think of fairy tales as something that you give kids. Um, these women who were writing and Perot, uh, were writing for adults as well, and particularly for an aristocratic audience. And I think that's the other thing with where our modern canon of fairy tales comes from, is that they were not taken from folklore, from the Volk. Um, they were very much being written as literary tales of, of civilized manners, of conversation, of civilité. And so... So it wasn't this idea that this was all for children 
Um, or even Charles Perrault was not going out and collecting these stories from people. We have this idea that all fairy tales were these people running out and interviewing people and saying, no, oh, peasant by the fire, what did you hear when you were growing up? And 19th century folklorists do do that form of collection. Um, but the French women and Perrault were not. They may have read some Italian fairy tales, um, but they were primarily writing these very literary tales. And some of them are very long. <laughs> so they're, that's where we, that's where fairy tales start for us. The written word canonized these stories for the first time. Now, in your time, Dr. Fine, you have not only the written word, but a variety of, of other mediums that have, in new ways, canonized these stories once again for a new generation. So much so that you can now look back on these visual mediums and refer to these retellings of fairy tales now as classics. Mm -hmm. Now I wonder, as new attempts are made to tell these stories, to take another step further in how we tell stories, so I'd be truly eager to hear your opinion of how fairy tales have changed in the 21st century, how they've stayed true to their original materials or original tellings, and in what ways they've changed and adapted to the times to teach new lessons to the living world. Well, Charles Perrault's fairy tales are first translated in 1729 by a man named Robert Samber. And he's actually the one, and I'm going to focus a lot on Cinderella here because this is the tale that I know the history of the best. I have read and watched so many versions of Cinderella for my thesis, uh, my PhD. And um, so Samber gives us the word Cinderella, which is interesting because he chose to go with the cognate of cinder, whereas in French, Sandra is ash. So it's Cendrillon and the Perrault. And... And so we have this Robert Samber is why we have the word Cinderella in the English language. Um, so after 1729, the fairy tale collection is very popular and it really does start to take off in England. And by the 19th century, it's pretty set. There are set illustrations of Cinderella by the hearth, of the fairy godmother visiting Cinderella, usually one of her... Um, like in some way tightening the corsets of her stepsisters um, and because they were practicing tight lacing. You actually, Pro actually like talks about that in, in the text. Um, he gets very specific with the fashion and the text. It's very place-based and time specific with what these people are wearing, um, which of course changes over time. So when you have 18th century Cinderella's, she's wearing a different outfit than in an earlier Cinderella. It, they stay very current. And I think that's something that's interesting too, is that sometime in the early 20th century, unless we're talking about it being like a modern update, we did stop updating. And when we think of fairy tales and the look of fairy tales, it's still very rooted in 17th and 18th century fashions. Um, despite the fact that through those centuries, the fairy tales kept up with the times. So that's something that's interesting. It's incredibly interesting. Now, dear listener, I think this is a fine point to pause this interview so that we can pick it up again next week. 
Next week, we'll discuss a little bit more about the history of fairy tales and also speculate how they're going to evolve beyond your time and into the future. Now, what lesson can we derive from the first half of this interview about fairy tales? We arrive at certain moments in time where we question what good storytelling is. We tend to look back to the ancients for all of the answers, the classics for the standard of how things should be done, and we tend to look at new or modern ways to tell stories with an air of novelty, skepticism, perhaps even cynicism. But in truth, dear listener, the modern methods of today are simply the classics of tomorrow. And so I encourage you today to look to the new with, well, fresh eyes, an element of innovation, and dare I say, my beloved Junto, a little bit of curiosity. I suspect you should find a great many new things you like about these new methods. That's all for today's installment. Would that we had more hours in the day, but as always, we have nothing but time between us. Resource materials and images from this week's episode can be found in the journal section at www.bfranklinlive.com. If you like the show, subscribe and stay up to date with all the latest gossip and news, and do me the kindness of leaving a review. You can follow us on Facebook at Let's Be Frank and Instagram at bfranklinlive. And finally, dear listener, spread the word. Tell your family, tell your neighbors, tell your horse, I don't care. Let's make our intellectual junto grow. And now, dear listeners, our time together must come to an end. Fare thee well, and always remember, when you're good to others, you are best to yourself. Until we meet again, I remain your humble and obedient servant, Dr. Benjamin Franklin, printer. Stay curious, my friends. <laughs>